Our scripture reading today is from Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men in the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear, with, bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for these in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Mary Linda and Chandler, for leading us this morning uh, in the liturgy and the reading of the word. It's good to be with you all here. If we haven't met, my name's Russ Ramsey. I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Cool Springs. And uh, we come to the end of this series that we've been in in the book of Colossians. We've been working our way through and we're now at the end. We started around Labor Day and, and, and here we are. And we come to one of these passages. There's several of these in the New Testament where there's a letter, an epistle, it's called, and, and at the end of it, you find like this section of greetings where there's a lot of names. And you may read those. If you're reading the Bible devotionally on your own, you may come to these sections and think, what's the application? Um, but for me, I think, I think these particular passages have some of the most poignant application around, and that is that we go through life in relationship with other people. And, uh, and, and so when I look at this, at this, at the end of his letter here, you find this greeting. We did this a while back with 2 Timothy. Um, but w when we look at this, there's a lot of names on this list that we don't really know a lot about. There's people here that are, that are mentioned, and we don't, we don't have a lot of information about them. But some of them uh, we do know, and it's helpful for us to, to examine what is Paul doing with these greetings. And one of the things that he's doing is he's naming the names of the people who he's walk through, walking through life with. So if you wrote your life as an epistle, who would appear in your greetings? Who would appear in your closing greetings? Who would be the people that you would be saying hi to? Who would be the people that you would be saying hello on behalf of? Who has helped you? Who's helped you shoulder the load? I want to tell you about one of mine, one of my people, somebody who would be in one of my, who would definitely be at the end of my epistle. 
He's my good friend, Joe Abbey. Joe died uh, in July of 2010. And the cancer came so fast that by the time they found it, they were already using words like experimental treatment, inoperable. And then that quickly switched over to words like hospice and pain management. Joe was my best friend during a time in my life when having a best friend counted for something. I'd known him from a distance for a long time. He was the cool upperclassman with a leather jacket who played electric guitar. And I was the young, long-haired kid who also played guitar. And I just revered him. I admired him from a distance, but I didn't really know him because it wasn't, that's not how it works in high school. Uh, the freshmen don't really know the seniors, at least where I was growing up. But our friendship really started my senior year of high school when Joe became a Christian. And he started coming to the youth group that I was a part of. And we became fast friends, and we were always together. There was a stretch of about five years where we were together all the time. We both had cars. We both had a lot of time. Joe had a job, which meant he had some money. Uh, and so we just spent all this time together. I remember many, many nights spent playing pool in his basement listening to music until the sun came up. And that feeling that you have when you're, when you're, when you're a late teen, early 20s, where you stay up all night and you see the sun start to rise, and you have that feeling like you've accomplished something grown up. As a grown up now, I'm like, that's not accomplishing something grown up. But at the time, that's, that's how I felt. And Joe and I were both people who were just captured by the love of Christ. And we were both new in our faith. And it was effortless. We could talk about our faith. We'd go from talking about music to girls to Leviticus to what the Lord was maybe going to do with our lives as we got older. And we would transition from topic to topic with no problem at all. He stood up in my wedding. I stood up in his wedding. And even though the years had since led us to different places in our life, Joe Abbey, my friend Joe Abbey, is a person that I knew that I could call on if I was ever in trouble and he would be there. Joe was one of the first people to believe and then to express his belief that one day I would become a pastor. He believed this about me long before, long before I ever did. And he, he gave me this Bible 30 years ago. And he wrote an inscription in it that says this. He says, Russ, I give this to you knowing you will be faithful to live out the call that God has placed on your life to minister the love of Jesus to lost and hurting people everywhere you go. I hope this is helpful. I'm thankful I can call you brother, brother. You're a blessing, love in Christ. Joe, February 8th, 1992. I was 19 years old when he gave me this Bible. It hadn't occurred to me to become a pastor. I was a freshman in college, but Joe just assumed that that's what was going to happen. I tell you about Joe because I wish you could have known Joe. I wish you could have met him. I wish you could have known Joe because to know him would explain a lot about me. He brought things out of me that were things that, that he could access in ways that, that very few could. 
Why do I wish that you could have known Joe? That's the question. And I'll tell you why. The reason I wish you could have known Joe is because you are the people that I'm walking through life with now. Just as Joe would be in the greetings in the epistle of my life, Christ Pres Cool Springs, in that place where we commend people to one another, real people with relationships, you're in there too. Today's text is that. It's a commendation. It's Paul commending one cluster of friends to another cluster of friends. And these are people who have walked a road with him. They've shared a mission. They've encouraged each other. And they've had a fair measure of fun along the way. They had to have. That's kind of a mark of friendship. I can just imagine some of the wonderful meals that they enjoyed together. I can imagine seasons that they collectively remembered and smiled upon, eras that were missed when they were over. And what you see in Paul's language is that the people in his life were more than props. They were infrastructure for him. They were infrastructure in him. In Psalm 16, King David reflects on God's care in his life, and one of the things that he thanks God for is his friends. And he says it this way. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. I love that verse. I love that verse. It's that thing. Have you ever looked across the room and seen somebody on the other side of the room, and the feeling that just wells up inside of you is, I love that guy. You know that feeling? That's what he's saying. He's saying this is, what the, this is who the excellent ones are. He's thinking about the people who populate his life, who help him walk with the Lord, uh, people that, that, that all he can think about is just how great it is to know them. And they're treasures. They're people who came at the right time for the right season, people who held up his arms, people who are sacred to him. We're not meant as people to walk alone. This is part of the Lord's, the way he made us. When God made Adam, one of the things that he said is it's not good for man to be alone. So what did he do? He gave Adam Eve. But God wasn't just giving Adam a spouse when he gave him Eve. What he was giving him was others. He was giving him community. When God told Adam and Eve to populate the land, it was because it wasn't good for them to be alone either. And so he gave them children, but what he was doing is he was giving them community. Because we're social beings, we're made to relate, to love, to enjoy the friendships of others. And Joe is, he's one of the excellent ones in my life. And so are many of you in very specific ways that have been born out over time. And so we press into each other's lives, we've held each other up in different ways, and it's glorious. But the epistle of our lives is also messy, and you see it in the names that Paul lists. We see it here. And so I just want to touch on four people that he mentions, and I'll do it briefly. But each person that Paul names at the end of this epistle has a complicated story because nobody, nobody has a simple story. And through each relationship, each of these people followed a path that one of the things that happened is it led them to being named in the canon of Scripture. And a lot of them 
there's something kind of precious about not knowing who a lot of these people are because it's the Lord's business, right? But we know who they were to Paul and they were dear. And so what I want to do is I want to call attention to four names and talk about who they were to Paul and who Paul was to them because they're types. They're types of people. And a lot of people in our lives are going to fall into the four categories and some are going to overlap. The first is Luke. He mentions Luke in verse 14. Here's who Luke was. Luke was a colleague. Luke was a partner. Luke was a side-by-side person with Paul in many ways. They were both educated. They were both writers. They were both well-traveled. And Paul, one of the things that you read about him is he's often in this role of being a father in the faith. But you sense when he talks about Luke that he and Luke were friends. So who are those people to you? Who are your Lukes? Who are the people you're eye to eye with? People who know you and they know what you care about and they care about the same things. People who give you insight into what God is doing in you and what God is doing in the world. People who encourage you. People who, when, they're, when, they, when they walk in the room, you're like, it's one of the excellent ones right there. And then you have Onesimus. Onesimus came to Paul just needy. He walked through the door in a tough place. He was the slave in Philemon's home who had run away and gone underground. And he entered Paul's life as a fugitive. And he was empty-handed. And he was in many ways just kind of at rock bottom. And through Paul, he came to know Christ. In fact, he's one of the men who delivered this letter, the book of Colossians, along with the letter to Philemon uh, because the church in Colossae met in Philemon's home. Onesimus is somebody that his relationship with Paul started as Paul helped him. Paul helped him when he was needy. He was somebody who came needing help. And in the beginning, it was a very one-sided arrangement in a lot of ways. But over time, one of the things that you see is it became so much more. And one of the things we have to remember about Paul is that he, too, at one point in his faith journey, was where Onesimus is, rock bottom. He was somebody who needed help. His conversion, which there's a Caravaggio in the back of the room that kind of depicts that moment. In his conversion, the Lord struck him blind and told him to go into the city and sit and wait for somebody to come and help him. And the Lord sent the church to help him. And it was when that happened that he got his sight back. He had to wait for people to come and help him. He'd been there. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're at a place where you're just at the bottom. Barnabas kind of comes into this story because he's one of the people, Barnabas is, one of the people who went to Paul when he was in this fragile state and cared for him and discipled him and advocated for him and encouraged him after this conversion when Paul just needed help. Sometimes this is who we are to each other, right? Sometimes we're the needy. I I need much more than I can give. And sometimes we're the helpers. I'm going to pour out and not take a lot in. But one of the things that we see here with Onesimus at this point is we see that God heals that stuff. He redeems that stuff. Then you've got Mark. Mark was Barnabas' cousin. He's mentioned in verse 10. You see a web starting to come together, right? You've got Onesimus, you've got Barnabas, you've got Paul, you've got Mark, Barnabas' cousin. 
Paul's companions on his first missionary journey were Barnabas and Mark. Somewhere in the middle of that trip, Mark bailed out. Uh, He decided not to continue on with them. And so when Paul was preparing for a second missionary journey, Barnabas said, you want me to call Mark? We'll have him come along. And Paul said, Mark's not coming on another one of these because he abandoned us. He's back. He's back. He's back in this passage. You see it. He's back in Paul's life. He's walking together with him. It's this great hope of the gospel that all is not lost. In our epistles, the ones of our lives, we're going to have people that we spend seasons with and then we part ways with. And sometimes that's for good and sometimes that's for a season. It's the Lord's business how all this works, but it's, but it's normal. It's normal for us to have seasons in one another's paths. And it's normal for those seasons to change. And it's beautiful when old friends come back together, especially if that reunion, as you see it here with Mark, signifies some kind of reconciliation that at one time seemed impossible. I had that happen in my own life recently. Demas is the last one that I want to mention. I've got to be careful with this one. In this letter, Demas is on the front lines with Paul. He's in the verse where Luke is mentioned. But he shows up later in 2 Timothy, Demas does. And it's a very different situation. So here, he's with Paul and he's with Luke. Later, it appears that he abandons Paul and the mission that they shared together. Years later, Paul wrote 2 Timothy. And one of the things that he wrote in there, this is 2 Timothy 4.10, is he said, because he loved this world, Demas has deserted me. That happens after the verse here. What chills me about this a bit is that when Paul mentions Demas, he has yet to break his heart. It's coming, but it hasn't happened yet. We all have a Demas in our lives, people that we love and that we assume are just here for the long haul who will desert us in sin. And it's painful. Here's a sober thought. You may be a Demas. We may be Demases in waiting, sincere in our words, but at some point lured away by the world. Consider these four names. You got walking with Paul, Luke, his dependable peer and friend, his colleague, his equal in many ways. Then you've got Onesimus, this man with a sordid past, who has since seen his life transformed and somebody to whom Paul has become a spiritual father and he regards him as his son in the faith. Then you've got Mark who came into his relationship with Paul peacefully enough and then that relationship was fractured and then it was restored. If you have any time spent in relationships with people, you're going to have Mark's in the end of your epistle. And then you've got Demas, this friend who has yet to break your heart. 
but will. His zeal seems so real and overflowing, but the connections are very fragile. And he's a friend who used to be there and just vanished. Chances are you love Ademus now. You may be Ademus in waiting. We have to understand that what Paul is doing here is he's doing more than just listing the names of friends. These are people who, though their lives are messy and their faith is often weak, they're people who are joined by a common mission, and that is to see the gospel proclaimed and believed across the Roman Empire. We're called not just to live our lives, but to live them in mission together, to know and make known Christ to the world, and that can get messy. But we can't escape our need to live in community. And neither can we escape the fact that we will probably go through tough stretches if we walk together for any length of time. Sometimes we'll walk through a season together, but then the Lord will bring along another season that will look different and will mean change. Sometimes the cancer comes without warning and it takes from our number and it breaks our hearts, as happened with my friend. But in all of this brokenness, in all of this unpredictability, there is joy in walking through life with the excellent ones. In the time that we've been given, when we share in the mission of redemption, there's joy. So who fills out the end of your epistle? They don't need to be perfect. They won't be. But they're a gift. May your list become long, and may those names come easy, and may you be quick to tell them and others who they are, the excellent ones. Let me pray. Father, the first thing that you recognized in your own creation that wasn't created complete was a person being alone. And that has not changed. You have made us to be people who are called to live in community called to regard ourselves in relationship with you as belonging to the body of Christ, that we are one body made up of many parts. And, and Lord, we thank you for that. In your wisdom, in how you've made us, you call us to walk together. And it's a broken road, and it's a, a road that, that, um, that we can't nail down. And yet, we see in the end of Paul's epistles these names which represent a story, the story of how you cared for him and how you led him and how you used him. And uh, so, Father, I pray that as we think about the Lukes and the Marks and the Onesimuses and the Demases in our lives, that you would cause our hearts to lean into them uh, in places where relationships are broken, that you would give us courage 
uh, where, it's, where it's healthy and safe to seek reconciliation as much as we are able, uh, to forgive in places where we've been wounded, and uh, to celebrate the gift of the people that you bring into our lives to walk with us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.